So we are in the portion Metzora this week, mm-hmm. which if, if, you, if you think like a bar or bat mitzvah student, this is the one Torah portion that nobody wants. The mistress. This is the, the one Torah portion. We're, we're, it starts on page 752. But before we get to the specifics, so if you even, if you look at the title on the previous page, 750, sort of what it says about the portion, what, what's, the, what's the name of the portion, or, or the, the description? Defilement and purification. Defilement and purification, which, which doesn't sound so fun. Um, and this is, this is the one portion that people sometimes point to. I mean, really, this is the one that when it comes up in the reading, everyone thinks, oh, not this one. Um, but the truth is, this is part of a, a long series of portions that are dealing broadly with this issue of purity and impurity, cleanliness and uncleanliness. Uh, and it's actually a long section. The previous portion, Tazria, deals with it. The previous portion, Shemini, deals with it. Um, there's a lot of stuff here, especially in this book of Leviticus, about purity and things that make you unclean or impure. So why do you think this is such a big topic? Like why, why would this be given so much space in the Torah? Well, it's a big part of life, realistically. So meaning, what, do you, what is a big part of life? Our health, our, the care of our bodies, our um, relationship you know, with Torah and what it tells us. Great. So, so that would be the, the first response, which I think is a good one, is that taking care of our bodies and health and that sort of thing is a big part of life, right? whether old or young. Whether it's anytime. intimate or not. You know, right. Private kinds of things. In lots of ways. Right. So you're right. I think they were shy back then as well. Um, shy meaning like? You know, kind of uncomfortable being public about it. Uh-huh. Well, so it's a good question. Right? It's, it's hard to know, I guess. We don't have a lot of writing about that, but you know, some of the stuff that you see about um, covering up even, right? I mean, think back to the Garden of Eden, right? And, and the, you know, Adam and Eve talk about covering their nakedness, right? When they realize they're naked, you know, they, they cover themselves. Yeah. So that maybe gives us a hint that they... That's how it was going to be. Sh- or at least that that's, that's how they felt. I mean, there wasn't a, a company, you know, they weren't running around just doing whatever they wanted, parading around. So I, I think certainly some of that. I don't think it's like Victorian necessarily. Yeah. But definitely there was modesty yeah. back then. To me, it's amazing how far-sighted it was because we know about bacteria and uh, how to try to be clean. Where did they get that wisdom? Okay, so, so building on the health issue, right? Part of the question is if they understood these things also, it, it's pretty advanced sort of medical knowledge or at least an understanding of things, which I do think comes out a number of times. This is not quite related, but what made me think about is if you go back to the, the early descriptions of creation, people have done sort of studies comparing the way some of creation is described compared to scientific descriptions of the Big Bang or the creation of the universe and found that there's a lot of overlap, which you think, how is it possible that they would have any understanding of that? 
And it, I'm not saying they necessarily did, but there seems to be some sort of deep wisdom in here that I think, like you said, transcends time. Somehow, that there, it seems way beyond what we think of as you know, early or you know, ancient understandings of things. So yes, so again, in the health area, um, any other thoughts about why this whole area of, of pure, impure, clean, unclean would be such a big topic here? Is this where the menses is mentioned? Yeah, it is. That's included, yeah, that, that's okay, all part so, of this. It's okay, so they're trying to explain something which occurs naturally, but also if you're prevented from having intercourse during those times which you cannot conceive, so then putting you more likely to have relationships when you can conceive, so creation of the additional people. And perhaps in that sense, I think maybe this is what you're getting at, is the Torah is here trying to, to guide people. Right? I mean, maybe, maybe the common person had that knowledge, maybe they didn't, but you know, here's the Torah trying to help people do the right thing, right? Or, or do things that, that might or might not be natural, but you know, we have to go beyond that sometimes. We have to do things that are good for us, even if it wouldn't just be our natural choice. But I was wondering, is it harmful to have relations when you have menstruation? But you're impure, the man and the woman are impure, and why? Okay, well, so, so that gets to a different question. So, you, so what, what Ray just did, and I, this is part of where we're going with this, is you split it into two things. You said there's a question of harm, right, which is sort of the health issue, but then there's this separate question of pure, which I think in your question you were saying that that's not the same as whether it's harmful to you, yeah. right? So, so I'm, I'm going to come back to that, but again, that's different, right? If this is all about health, that's one thing, but it seems like there's something else here. Right? This isn't just about being healthy or safe. Also, the community, I mean, even today, superstition, mystery can lead to a lot of conflict, and um, everybody has a different uh, cause effect, and, and there can, you know, it can be very disruptive, very chaotic, if uh, re they rely on, uh, you know, it'll be divisive, you know, to have everybody on a different page. Absolutely. And, and, and let's, for a minute, let's, let's even bring that down to individuals. So, I don't want to, you know, go too far into this, but based on what Judy said, right? Think about relations between men and women and the question of when you can or can't have them. So what if, you know, I know this is far-fetched, but imagine that a man and a woman have different ideas about when they should or shouldn't have relations. Here you have something saying, you know, <coughs> you don't, don't have that fight between you, here are the rules. Right? I mean, it sort of right. takes you away from the conflict because exactly. it's not a choice. Exactly. Right? Here's how you with this measles yes. epidemic. Even yes. today, we have to come back to rules and uh, and uh, you know lay in, uh, the groundwork again. Re relay the groundwork. Which, which is why, with the measles thing, and again. It's unfortunate this is coming up, but even in the ultra-Orthodox world, so there, there was something that happened this week. You've all heard about the measles epidemic, and I mean, it's, it's a little painful to read the news and see how people are taking this as a Jewish thing, because it's coming 
some of it out of this ultra-Orthodox Jewish community, or the, the ones that happened here even came out of Israel. Right, which, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of not good for the Jews, right? Like, when news like that happens, it feels like it reinforces stereotypes. And I can't remember who it was. Someone just the other day was telling me they were in a store somewhere. This was here in maybe West Bloomfield. Someone working in a store, one of our members who works in a store, you know, doesn't necessarily present as Jewish. You know, she wasn't wearing a Jewish star or anything. And something came up about the measles thing, and the person's comment was, you know, I know, well, we just, we, we try not to go places where those Jews go. Oh, my God. Right, which, which on the one hand, for someone ignorant, you can understand, because that's what's been in the news. <laughs> on the other hand, obviously, that's terribly disturbing to think that. Is which is... Well, well, so this is the interesting thing. So, so, in, it, so just this week, one thing that happened is there's a, a big ultra-Orthodox newspaper. Um, it's actually put out by a group called the Satmar Hasidim. Mm-hmm. You heard about the They're Satmar? Very extreme people. Very extreme, but right, this is one of the huge. It's one of the huge groups of ultra-Orthodox mm-hmm. that that came, you know, here. They they have an area in New York that they kind of rule. Anyway, their ultra-Orthodox newspaper came out with a scathing condemnation of the people who did not vaccinate. I mean, scathing. And they never do this. They printed this sort of editorial in Yiddish, which the paper's written in, and English, which they they even said, we are taking the unusual step of printing this in both English and Yiddish so that everyone can understand what we're saying. Because they're trying to make it very clear that this is not the rules. And in fact, even the ultra-Orthodox most of them say very clearly, you yes. have you're required to vaccinate, yes. but some people, you know, in the ultra orthodox world, a, are not educated. They don't, they don't have any access to media outside their own ultra orthodox. They only get answers from their own people, and there's a lot of ignorance as a result of that. So you have ultra orthodox people who are not vaccinating even though most of their authorities will tell them that they're supposed to. Right, their day schools, their their, uh, rabbis, and also it's a very small, very highly, um, I don't know what to call them, group. It isn't the Orthodox community at large. No, it's it's a small set, and unfortunately, especially these small groups, so if you get one little group that isn't paying attention to that or something, they're, right, they have, larger families, they're in tighter spaces, and you get like an outbreak, you know, that maybe wouldn't in another place. So it, it I mean, it's unfortunate, but, but it is connected to this, because again, the, the part of the point of this is to help people act the right way, even if they don't know better. And by the way, in measles, 94% of a population has to be vaccinated in order for there not to be um, Right, it's the herd immunity. There yeah. was an outbreak in Israel as well, which the, this young man, they went to this Orthodox young man that went from Brooklyn to Israel. There was an outbreak in Israel, and that's why he contracted it. So I wonder, was the outbreak in Israel also in an Orthodox community? Yeah, yeah. And so, so here's, so let me give a, a more direct answer to your question, because your question before was, is there a reason ultra-Orthodox wouldn't vaccinate? So the, the big opinion is that they must. But there was also an interview I read last week 
um, and this was not of a, a leader, this was of just a, you know, a person, right? I think this was a, a mom in an ultra-Orthodox community. Her statement was, of course we don't vaccinate because our children are born perfect. And not meaning ours versus yours, but you know, children are perfect. They come, they come from God perfect, and we don't need to fix the way they're born. Which, by the way, so that, that's the reason some wouldn't, right? Because we don't need to do anything. But then the question you have to ask yourself is, why would you circumcise a child if they're born Perfect. What? Well, yes, absolutely. Vaccination is not. Not not directly, but 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 this is. But the whole. But it also doesn't say in the Torah that your kid is born perfect and doesn't need any help. No, it doesn't. But they have always the answer that God will provide. Absolutely. I'm just saying. Right, and it's not not fair to apply logic to an ultra orthodox position. So fair enough, but logically it's hard to understand how you can make the statement, our kids are perfect and therefore we wouldn't do anything to them, and then in eight days we circumcise them. Because part of that statement is, and part of the reason I think for circumcision, it doesn't say that in here, but we have a role in the process of creation. It's not just God. Anything in the world, we and God are partners. So even in in this, right? This beautiful child is born, and we, we do this you know, little thing to not, not fix the child, that's the wrong idea, but it, it's not they like the child comes out perfect and doesn't need anything, right? And Whether by the way, how can they say anyone, I'm, you know I'm absolutely against any prejudice, but how can one say they're born perfect when we have to work every day of our lives on our spiritual, on our spiritual inner self. You, you know, it's, you know, this is physical, but just right. think of the work we are doing every day with spiritually with our, you know, minds. Well, as the rabbi said, don't use then, logic because the Orthodox community has a lot of children with all kinds of imperfections among them, and up to physical imperfections and, and emotional imperfections, so, but to every mother, her child is perfect. Sure, and then and you can understand and that. And then she has to deal three with Three things, it. real right. quick. Right, I'll chop fast on three things, real quick. Um, I told Rabbi last week when we did this portion, and of course, the first thing I thought of was these to blame the Jews for the plague, mm-hmm. remember? So then I'm now happy that somebody from Germany, hopefully that person is not Jewish, contracted the measles and brought it into Metro Airport and all over the place, and U of M. So hopefully he's not so Jewish. That is good, I didn't know that. And then the third thing is that um, to save a life is in our primary goal. So now they're even using <coughs> heart valves that are made from Somebody using pigs. Exactly. And so, so you would think that since <coughs> God, orthodox, orthodox believe that everything that happens, God directed, well, God directed us to have a solution to this problem yes. so that we could. Answer. Absolutely. So, so just getting, yeah, last well, I, I've got something. I've got a follow-up from last week because I think this section is really a follow-up, is continuation. Oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. right, right, yeah. Um, I think uh, this is a groundbreaking uh, thing, and, and, and really, because it's speaking about isolation for disease, you know, and uh, this is a really important sort of thing, you know, for infectious diseases to have isolation so it doesn't spread in the community. And I'm not sure, you know, where else, historically speaking, there is something like this, you know. Uh, concerning last week, some, some people questioned 
you know, the description of leprosy that's given here. You know, it was actually a few pages before. It was um, on page 739 and 740, uh, the description of um, leprosy. Uh, and actually, it was pretty accurate. Uh, I, I, I got an old book uh, published in, in 1946 that's got some pretty gruesome pictures, actually, of, of leprosy, you know? And it speaks about the thickening of the lips and everything, and you know, I mark the page, and that, in, in fact, that's exactly what happens. Um, and they get this white sort of discoloration of the skin, which is described very accurately here, you know? Um, you know, somebody questioned about the thickening of the lips, and I got a picture here of a woman with a thickened lips, you know, with leprosy. So, yeah. uh, it, it's actually <laughs> quite an accurate description of leprosy. We understand leprosy now as not something that's very contagious, like, like TB, for example, although the organism is very similar to the TB organism. You have to live in close proximity to somebody for a long period of time uh, before oh. you actually contract the disease, you know. Uh, so it's, it's a little different, but I think the whole idea of isolating people is, is really brilliant. Uh, and, uh, this is what I was saying. There was a marvel that they are foresight. So, yeah. so, so let's. I don't let, think it's, it's really know? foresight. They were great observers. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the things that we reading occurred in their herds, and we know that the the nomads that were running around realized what was going on in the sheep herd or in the camels. And uh, for instance, in the case of uh, birth control, that's something that the nomads knew thousands of years ago because when they would travel, they didn't want their camels to get pregnant. And they knew if you put stones in the vagina of the camel, these camels wouldn't get pregnant, and then when they want them to get pregnant, they take the stones out, and they get pregnant. So, well, they, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so they were great I've observers. Never heard that. They were great observers of the of their animals and of their world around them. And so, so a lot of these things that we talk about uh, occurred because they saw. No, I, I think that, that certain things. We're there. Right. So, so just for a minute, though, so that's, that's all, I think, important. But I just want to get back to this for a minute because, again, I think once we look at what it says, it might give us a little different idea of what this is all about. Just a little bit. So let's, let's read a little bit of the beginning. There's a section that starts on page 752. This is chapter 14. Um, and you're right, Adrian, this is definitely a follow-up to last week. I mean, this is a, before you walked in, we were saying this is a big section, right? This is not just this portion. There's a whole big section here dealing with these issues of pure and impure and clean and unclean, which is why we were talking about why that would be such a, a big deal. So let's look at what it specifically says. And we're going to read um, a little bit longer than we sometimes do, but I, I want to read through the, the whole process because this explains what we do essentially when we have this um, problem that's cropping up. So starting at the top of the page, does someone want to do a little reading for us? And I can do it. 752? Yes. <clears throat> the Eternal One spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the ritual for a leper at the time of being purified. When it has been reported to the priest, 
the priest shall go outside the camp. If the priest sees that the leper has been healed of the scaly infection, the priest shall order two live pure birds, cedar wood, crimson stuff, and hyssop to be brought for uh, the one to be purified. The priest sh shall order one of the birds slaughtered over fresh water in an earthen vessel. And he shall take the live bird along with the cedar wood, the crimson stuff, and the hyssop, and dip them together with the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. He shall then sprinkle it seven times on the one to be purified of the eruption and effect the purification, and he shall set the live bird tree free in the open country. The one to be purified shall wash those clothes, shave all hair, shave off all hair, and bathe in water, and then shall be pure. After that, the camp may be entered, but one must remain outside one's tent seven days. On the seventh day, all hair shall be shaved off of head, beard, if any, and eyebrows. Having shaved off all hair, the person shall wash those clothes and bathe the body in water, and then shall be pure. A little, little further. On the eighth day, <coughs> that person shall take two male lambs without blemish, one new lamb in its first year without blemish, three-tenths of a measure of choice flour with oil mixed in for a meal offering, and one log of oil. These shall be presented before the Eternal with the wapiri to be purified at the entrance of the tent of meetings by the priest who performs the purification. Well, there's so then a it, lot of it, ritual here yes. without any knowing what's going on. Yeah, well, I, exactly. I disagree. I disagree because they knew when the sheep got a skin disease, they had to shave all the wool from the sheep. And then when the next hair growth comes, see that here. But this is a similar thing. They shaved them again, and dipped them in the water. But the last part of this is very telling because it says it's bringing in God and saying, well, because you got purified, it's because of God. So okay. you, you made a, so, a, a thing here at the end. You have to so, sacrifice to so, God so let's, making so, you pure. So let's look at what it says, right? Because Shelley is right. There's a lot of ritual here. So, you know, Adrian, you, you brought the medical book over there, right? So, so let me just ask you this. Can, can shaving yourself and dipping yourself in water cure you of leprosy? No. No, it won't cure you, but it might stop you from being contagious. You know, if the, if the bacteria is on the outside on the skin, it could reduce the infectivity. Great. Well, All right. Well, and, and, yeah? Uh, not if there's a bird blood in there and the birds can have some contagious disease that could make it worse. Okay. So, so there seems to be a strange thing going on here. Because, again, this is the ritual. And the ritual is the right word. And, and you even said, Charlie, that you know, somehow God comes into this. Um, and by the way, who is the one in charge of this process? Priest. The priest, right? It, are the priests doctors in any way? No, but they're the few literate people in the community. Absolutely, right. But, but what is their function? What's the function of a priest? 
if the, even the term priest as opposed to rabbi. Well, he's a relation to God. Right, right. Priests were the ones who were the intermediaries between us and God. Right? That was their role. They are somehow the functionaries that, that take care of the, not just the, the sacrifices, but the rituals that connect us to God. Right? So that, that's what the priest is. And even in the last portion that you read last week, I don't know if you remember, but what does it say when someone gets this disease? Who's the person brought to? The priest. The priest, right? The priest. But the doctor. Well. He's the doctor. Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but medical, in all of these other areas, in the Greeks, in the Romans, in the pagans, they have a medicine man who's considered a priest. And he has these things, whether they, they have a basis or not, he is relating it to the spirits. Right. So, so I think so, it's, a, it's, it's a natural thing. Well, that, but, but let's just for a minute. The priest would be the same as the doctor. Well, but but let, let's think about this for a minute. So if a, let's say a person is sick, a person has leprosy. It's a terrible thing. There's probably two different things we want. Right? One is we want to help that person. And what's the other thing we want? The community. Right. Okay? And, and so everything that I've heard so far is about protecting the community. Whether it's the isolation, you know, that you both mentioned, whether it's the, the washing and the cutting hair that maybe would prevent more, you know, transmission of disease. I mean, all those things are about the community. None of those things seem to be about healing. Is there anything you've yeah, read here about healing? But is there so. anything here that even presents itself as healing the person? Anything? Well, we, uh, Bathing and the cutting of the hair. Well, I mean, at not, least, at least right. the opinion we got. They're not, they're not trying to actually heal the patient. They're saying here, if you, you can extend the interpretation, but it says that God will heal. Right, could be exactly, that, that, but but all that the, we can't do. But all we the things that we're them, reading, we'll make them better. We'll help right. them out. But we'll all the things we're reading here, community will be safe. Right. Well, but but which is different, right? There's a difference between healing the individual and protecting the community. Right. They're Those, both they're, are tied together. Absolutely tied together, but they're different. They're different. Right. We we can protect. We can protect. Well, I'm not sure. But, but we, could, we can protect the community even if we can't heal the individual, right? So your question, right, can the person be healed? Is there a cure? the community by shaving the person? I mean, in modern, I don't know that much about leprosy because, you know, it doesn't exist now. It does. But the question, I guess, is that if somebody has leprosy and you do all these things, does it make him non-contagious? I don't know that that's true. So, so, I didn't think so. So, so I, I'm not sure it does. But think of it this way, because again, there seems to be deep wisdom here, but they don't have advanced medical knowledge. They didn't know what this disease was, right? What they're doing, I think, in large part, is reacting to real things that are happening that probably are scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, th just for a minute, think about this measles situation. And think about the person's comment. I'm, I'm not going to go where those people are. Imagine the ancient world where they really didn't know. I mean, today, that person who made that comment probably has been vaccinated, probably has a doctor to go to, and you know, all kinds of things. Think in this world, right? You'd have diseases of all sorts. This is one of them. But when a disease comes through, you see what it does to people. I mean, those pictures were horrifying. 
right? So imagine that spreading around people. You'd think there'd be a tremendous amount of fear about that. Well, and what, what can we do? I, and I think part of the first answer is we don't know what to do about that. It, it just showed up. This person, you know, they don't know how the person got sick. There's this terrible thing happening. They don't know how or why. But we need to protect ourselves. So somehow, I think a lot of this is about protecting the community, not necessarily healing the individual. Because again, if you remember, the process it describes last week is first the person's taken to the priest, and then the priest is the one who says, outside the camp. I mean, they, they're, they're isolated, which is a good thing. That's not going to heal anybody, but it hopefully will protect yeah, other people. Right. And then what happens in seven days? What happens? They get shaved, and they get their clothes cleaned, and they get no. examined. That, before, <coughs> they last week. Every yes, week. the priest looks again, and the priest either says, they still have it, or they don't. And if they still have it, you're back outside. And if they, if they don't, right, if they somehow, I mean, again, there's no healing in here. If somehow they are better, then you get to this, purification. Right now, we want to make sure before we just let you in, we go through all this which again, I think is extra measures of protection. Right? So that's part of what's happening here is, is I think there's a protective measure, which is why the priest would be involved. Again, I'm not sure if the priest was considered any kind of doctor, but even if not, yes, they were the literate ones, they were the community leaders, they were the ones trying to connect people you know, to God and ritual. They had a role of protecting the community. And this seems to be very much protective. No, I was just going to say, I'm sure at this time, they knew that vermin would live in hair. You know, like you get head lice and you have all these different... So, I mean, it was a perfect segue to whatever this person's coming down with. Maybe it's because of this vermin and the hair. So, you sure. shave the hair and, you know... Sure. Or, or, even if, you know, because, yeah, I mean, you can see lice mm -hmm. if you look carefully. Some things you can't necessarily see, but kind of like you were saying, I mean, they probably at least noticed if, if we get rid of someone's hair, it doesn't happen as bad. Or people, right? I mean, there seems to be a lot of connection between you know, practical Think wisdom and, hair. okay, now this is the rule because we kind of know it works. What? But again, so the, pr protective. In, in contemporary times, the closest thing we can talk about is the AIDS epidemic. Because when people found out people had AIDS, they wanted to be away from that guy. They, they figured there's something wrong there. And, and one of the big they reasons... They had all these other... other well, but but and, and one of the big reasons for that is because no one knew what this was or where it came it was, from. It was fear. It was right, fear. Right? I don't know how... I don't know how. If, I, if I touch someone, will I get it? If I'm this close, will I get it? Right? Don't know. So, sure. We're going to want to do They confined it to, to different populations. Oh... You can't go near this group because they, they got a lot of it. So there's something wrong there. Then they, uh, some there people, were conspiracy theories. There, well, there were people that brought in the, the concept that this was a punishment to eat. Right. Now, now here's, here's, the, here's the next question. Because again, just we're trying to build what they're trying to do here. So for a minute, turn back to page 740. This Again, this last week. But... To determine what we're dealing with here, if this is a doctor or health-related issue or not, can someone just read the first, uh, the first two verses there, 47 and 48? When an eruptive affection occurs in a 
cloth of wool or linen fabric, in the warp or in the woof of the linen or the wool or in the skin or the what, anything made of skin. Okay, so, and by the way, the word there is the same, sarat. Right? That's, that's the word that we interpret as leprosy. Can, can a piece of clothing have leprosy? Well, the scale that comes off. Well, the organism could be in, the, in there. An organism, but, 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 this is, but that's not what it says. This is when, when sarat occurs in a cloth or fabric. Yeah, that's what they call fomites, where uh, diseases are transmitted through clothing. And, and uh, yeah, it's possible, it's conceivable that the bacteria could be on clothing. Well, in, 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 during, um, in early American times, when uh, the Europeans were fighting the Indians, they actually yeah. purposely... Yeah, they gave blankets from smallpox patients yeah. to, to, to the Indians. Yeah. On purpose. Right, so they, they spread it with that way. Right, but again, we, we see the, things on the cloth. We see molds. We see yes. We see impure things happening to Abs- the cloth, and we absolutely. say, "Oh, we've got to get rid of that." Absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, it, the, in the same you know section, it describes sarat of buildings. Right, if a if a house gets this disease, so the so, What's so the source of sarat? What is the because it, doesn't, it sounds like another word that we know that's not... Soros. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know that... Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's related. I'm not sure. But, but I guess the point is, so yes, we, we would be concerned about cloth or a house having this quote-unquote disease, but we're not going to send a doctor, right, to, to fix mold and, a, you know, something or a house that has some kind of outbreak but we would be concerned about it spreading. Right? We'd be concerned about it affecting us. But it's interesting that they use the same term. It isn't something else. It's literally, it's, it says when, a, when a, you know, a linen fabric has leprosy, which just, it's very strange. But I think builds to the idea of what they're dealing with. They're saying when things come through that affect you know, the way we can see it, whether it's on a person or a piece of clothing or a house, when, when it looks bad like that, we're concerned, we're scared, and we need to do something about it. And we bring it to the priest to begin a ritual process, some kind of ritual process. And that is for leprosy, but I know at the end of the Second World War, when conditions were not very sanitary and lice infestation was very prevalent, so one way to deal with it was that they had these um, um, like ovens to put in the clothes, and in order to make it safer, you put it out again. Yeah. And I used to wash my hair with kerosene. Kerosene? Because that was killing your life. I bet it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and well, you. You know, if it <laughs> ever happened, you don't know. The way typhus was treated in the camps and in the, in the communities during the war, you know, was to shave the person, to obey the person, yeah. all that stuff. And of course, it didn't cure the person. But no. what did it do? It protected the rest of the yeah. Exactly, which again, it's, I, I think when we really read the details here, 
I, I don't think you can find anything about healing. This is not a medical process here. This is a protective process that, that takes into account medical wisdom. Again, we're, we're trying to, okay, isolation, I mean, it's the first thing you said, is a very you know, important medical decision, right, to isolate someone. So it's medical, but it's not medical in the sense of healing the person. This is about something broader. And then the related thing again, and getting back to the question of why there's so much time spent here with pure and impure. So maybe it's about health, right? which was the, the first kind of answer, but maybe you're it's not. The, you're blaming, you know, like you said, somebody in a place in West Bloke, you're blaming the Jews, you know. Uh, and of course, the same thing happened in the Middle Ages. They were blamed for the Black, black Plague. Yeah. And the reason yeah. is they lived in these confined ghettos, but they had these rules of hygiene. They washed their hands before meals. They did all these sort of that's hygienic things. And uh, that's why they didn't get a plague from the rats and the fleas and everything that everybody else did. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's nothing new, Jews getting blamed for disease. Sure. Sure, and which is well, which is a good, obviously a good thing. I mean, protecting ourselves is important. But getting back to the, the part two of this ritual, because again, it, it is a ritual moment here. So if that ritual isn't a healing process, and again, I don't think anyone would argue that the priest and dipping the bird in you know hyssop and oil and with the blood, all this, I don't think anyone would argue that that's a healing someone, right? I mean. I've never seen a doctor do that. Well, if, you know, if the people look like those pictures, I mean, they had to be horrified. I Absolutely. Mean, it's, like, it's like, we'll do anything, you know? It was probably teaching, too. <laughs> so, right. But. but why else? So, so one is the spread of disease. There's clearly fear here. But why else? Again, th think of, you know, broader than this. Again, why would we as a community be concerned about purity? and want a ritual for someone to become pure again. Because again, this isn't about healing them. This ritual is about purifying them. Which, you know, getting back to what you said earlier, Ray, right? There was the, the kind of health side, but then there was something else there. Why the purity? Why would we care about that? Well, it's just like God is asking for an unblemished animal to be slaughtered. Yeah. So we don't want a blemished person to be around us. Okay, around us. Around us. The, the, the community concept that yeah. you mentioned before is is the main basis. Here. Well, well, it's but a social thing. But, a, well, but, but 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 God is right. involved because they have this thing at the no, end. No, no, but 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 I, but I don't think community, right? I mean, really, what what Ann just said. This gets back to that idea that we don't want to sacrifice an unblemished animal. Do you remember anything else that the Torah says cannot be un, cannot be blemished? What else can't be deformed or blemished? Other than animals? Right. Isn't it the priest? The priest, right. Uh, it's the priest cannot have a blemish or a broken leg or, you know, all these things, right? If, if that's they're why not, you can't go to the cemetery and all that. It's related. Yeah. Right? But the point of all that is not necessarily community, because you can have a, you know, you can have your blemish or your broken leg in, you know, over there with everyone you know, having dinner, you can't enter God's presence if you're impure. Right? And that's where this gets. Right, exactly. So this... I mean, if you had a broken leg, you couldn't come to the dinner and all that? Well, that's, I think, why the temple never had a railing before. <laughs> no way to get up there. Right? 
we're, we're yeah, trying to fix that. The problem that. is there are blemishes you can't see. Sure. And, you know, you could have a psychological blemish. You could have a crazy priest. Absolutely. You can have something inside, a cancer or something. I mean, you know, I mean, who knows? You can't see it, but you can right. still have a So good. So actually, so that's important, I think. That, that, that'll help us segue. So, so that's great. So part of this is the idea that we, we don't want to be impure or blemished entering God's presence, right? There, there's a, you know, God's perfect, we're not but we want to be as perfect as we can entering God's presence, just like the animals that we brought back then had to be as perfect as they could be. Right? That's part of the theory, but also, so remember, remember when, when we got the Ten Commandments and the people weren't allowed to even touch the mountain. Right? Don't come close, which some people would argue is for our safety. Right? If you touch the mountain, you will die. But there's some interesting scholarship that actually turns it around and suggests that the reason that God didn't want, you know, anyone coming close was because we could infect God. If, if we are impure or if there's a problem with us that, well, it might not, but I'm just saying, but there, there's, a, there's a strain of thought that says it's almost a protective measure. Right? The reason God doesn't want impurity coming into God's presence is because those things clash and cause a problem, even, even for God. So, and you're right, I mean, it, it sounds strange given our concepts of God. But we saw it before with the Tower of Babel, right. when God realized that this was going in the wrong direction. So with the Tower of Babel, same question. Was the problem, and what it says there, right, is, you know, the people are getting too haughty and confident and you know that that's a problem but some would argue that the problem was god didn't want those people coming up here because for some reason maybe that was frightening or dangerous in some way perhaps right which is a different concept of god but somehow there's a there's a lot of not just this whole section but again the question i asked at the beginning was why so much focus on purity and impurity and some of it comes down to this whole question of why can we not bring impurity into God's presence? Why do the priests have to be pure? Why do they have to go through a ritual of cleanliness before they enter the temple? Why, you know, when they, when they touch something impure, when they touch a dead body, do they have to change their clothes and burn something? You know, all this ritual to go through to make sure we're, we're pure in God's presence. Right? It's not entirely clear, but there's a problem there somehow. Th this book is identifying a problem with the connection between pure and impure. And we want to be very careful. And in this sense, all this ritual is about purifying people. Again, not, not cleaning nothing necessarily. The there's nothing on the animals. Right, but the people. Because if this person is impure and then comes back in, and now I'm sitting around with all of you, so now you're impure, and you go to other people, and eventually you get to the priest, and the priest becomes impure, and then the priest goes into God's presence, we have a problem. Okay, give me back to what Carol said. Why did God choose Moses? <clears throat> he had a stutter or some kind of uh, speech impediment. I mean, wouldn't that be considered impure? So, so first of all, and it's a great question, so the first thing is Moses wasn't a priest. Okay. Right, technically. 
he was a he was a prophet and a leader. But you know the counter to that argument is Moses was in God's presence. I mean, Moses had the face-to-face relationship with God, so that would seem to be a problem. But, again, this at least doesn't present stuttering as, as impurity. It's clearly a, a defect of some sort, which I think maybe would be similar to the, the broken leg or something. Okay. So, so I think you're right, um, but, but, you know, I don't have a good answer. You know, he wasn't a priest, and it was prior to the ritual, right? When Moses was doing this, I mean, there was no ritual yet. But it was the temple. But but it seems like a problem. And by the way, we know there there are contradictions in this text. Right? That's no surprise. So it's a great question. I don't know exactly the answer, but I think it gets to the same question of what what's okay in God's presence, what isn't, what's the reason why God would care about this. Somehow this is a big thing in here, this whole idea of purity, which I do think some of it is sort of health-oriented and in a protective sense, right? There's great wisdom about protecting the community, but it's not only that. If it were only that, at least some of the things here wouldn't show up. Maybe, maybe dipping them in water, maybe cutting the hair, but why dipping you know, the live bird? I mean, there's nothing about that. That's ritual. That, that, that's only a ritual moment that says, because we do this, you have moved from impure to pure. Right? Not, not because something changed, but because we did a ritual. Which is, again, part of, I think, the, the interesting thing here is not everything here is a physical response. There are things here that are purely ritual, which tells us it isn't all about something physical or health-oriented. Some of this is just we do this because we're told that when we do this, we become pure again. Right? The priest's involvement, I think, partially is because it's a ritual. It's not a doctor. It's a ritual to say, how do I become pure again? There's this process we go through, and then as, at the end of that, poof, you're pure. So it's like making something culture to Okay. In a sense, uh, sure. So but that's also sure. they had those certain people who would be uh, playing a role for God <clears throat> in the community where they had a shave and everything, like the Nazarene or whatever that was called. Right. So the, they had this carried through. But the question, oh, the, the question seems to be whether their uh, the question of holiness seems to be also connected to purity. So that yes. seems to be part of the problem, you know. The, to be holy, you have to be pure. We had that, we don't say it here, but I remember when I was a kid and they'd go to a service of the guy that would go up to read the Torah. He who has pure heart and clean hands can approach the, the Torah. Right, So and, and who's that? And who's that? <laughs> this is the, you know, so, That's why we don't have it anymore. So they, they had that... The, I don't know where that came from exactly, but it's somewhere in the... In the well, it, that's the related world. directly to what we are talking about, the priest. Right. right? So you, you have to be pure... You have to be pure... And to be approach and God. And also it carries over in, the, like Luther, you know, the, the question of can a, a bad... A, a priest that did bad things give absolution <clears> and, and, and send somebody Absolutely. to heaven and so on... He said, well, no, Luther said, no, you can't do Absolutely. that. And he thought that was one of the problems that Jews had, that you had to be pure. So one of the complaints was, well, you got all these priests that are bad guys and, and, and corrupt and everything, and they're the, they're the ones that can do the good things. So, sure. So, yeah. Two things. First of all, 
ritual. You kiss the Torah when it was on the floor. So that's a ritual, and we all do it. Um, I was going to say, years ago, it was a um, rabbi, I thought he was in charge of the high school or something like that. He said something that was fascinating, I've never heard before. You know how we're supposed to keep, you know, these animals you can't eat and these you can? And he said something about, it's because, maybe it's because they're so holy when you put them together. <clears throat> Have you ever heard that? And something about um, God's, some pictures and something, or something shows those two animals together that we're not supposed to have because we're, only God can do that because he's so holy. You ever heard that? It's like the reverse of what we heard. I'm not sure what that refers to. I don't know. Um, I mean, I know. It was fascinating listening to him because you never think about that. Like the fish that we're not supposed to eat or, or the shrimp or whatever, or the animals we're not supposed to eat. They were on God's chair or picture of God's chair. I don't know. And it was like, he was saying that was so holy that we can't mix those things together because only God can do that. Or mm-hmm. Well, so like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but I, but I think, I think what that's referring to is this broad idea that pure and impure isn't about necessarily something physical. It's about a process. It's about ritual, which again is the point here. This this doesn't heal anybody of tzarat. This is about how do we repurify someone separate from that. And I guess that that's what I wanted to leave us with this morning. Um, and I apologize, I have to run. We have services in a little bit, and I think you might know we have confirmation this morning. So we have a great group of young adults who are going to be confirmed. Um, so. If you're going to stay, it's going to be really nice with those kids. But what I wanted to leave you with this morning was this idea that the, the, the quick reading, right, the, the surface right, that all of us do. I mean, naturals, this is, this is a health issue and this is about you know, healing people and, and disease, which on some level it is. But the really, I think the bigger picture here is not about disease specifically, but about what's our process. Right? How do we purify outside of healing and how do we protect a community outside of that so this this is why you know the torah isn't a medical book i mean if we if we follow this book for medical reasons we're gonna have a problem but if we follow this book for community reasons and for ritualistic reasons then i think we're then yes and and again getting back to the the measles thing i think if we follow the wisdom here we'll protect ourselves better But again, this isn't about healing ourselves as much as broader issues of community. I don't have to leave, but I have this question. Not not everybody can be healed from leprosy without proper medications as we know it now. What happened to those people who never became pure? They never came back from the camp. So So, So isolation is the protective measure, but part of that, and I have to go back and look. I don't think it, it... talks about it specifically, but maybe the unspoken thing is, you know, when they come back to be rechecked, rechecked, if, if they aren't healing, they're never coming back in. And, and ultimately, That's why someone's they establish gonna... colonies, leper colonies. Right. Sure, sure. But, but here, right, the point was they can't come back, and yes, people, people die of disease. I mean, that's one of the possibilities. Yeah. Um, so when that happened, they didn't come back. But part of this is saying when they, when they do get better, we need a way to bring them back. And by the way, again, think about the mindset, right? If we all, you know, if, if we all sat here and watched, 
you know, me get cast out for leprosy, and then suddenly I show up again, what's the response going to be? Yeah, I mean, who, nobody wants me here, right? Yeah. So part of this, again, is a, a ritual in order to bring the person back into the community and to say, it's okay now. Yeah. Right, because why, why would we want the person back at all? You know, good riddance. Well, at the beginning of the, um, the chapter really talks about skin, disease, skin diseases, and basically it says if, if it clears up within a week or so, you're okay. So actually, you could really 